0: Good afternoon, good afternoon. Welcome to the Council's Connection. I am your host, Fabian Vicks. It is a sunny August Saturday here in Georgia. And it is already 95 degrees outside. So that lets you know where I will be at today. Inside. So today's podcast, we're going to be discussing advocacy and collaboration and how those two things synergize together in enhancing your comprehensive school counseling program. And we're going to take some time to discuss that and how does that look from the counselor's perspective and what things can we do to Synergize both of those items into a comprehensive program. Lego. look at advocacy and collaboration, you have to define those two terms. Advocacy means public support for or recommendation for cause or policy. I will substitute two of those words out there and change it to public support for or recommendation for an initiative or a program. And we define collaboration as action of working with someone to produce or create something. I will still change two words out of there to say action of working with stakeholders to produce or create an initiative or a program. Those two words, initiative or program, some people still look at a comprehensive school council program as an initiative, which should be our goal to turn our turn our initiative into a program. And Earlier in my first podcast, we talked about it takes time to build a comprehensive program, implement little bits and pieces here and there to build it. And the one way you can make sure you implement your program is to implement bits and pieces into it until you get to a point where it's running the way you want it to run. And for it to run that way, you will need to collaborate with all stakeholders and advocate for your program to be able to collaborate and be able to do the things that we need to do to have a viable, comprehensive program. One of the things we use for collaboration and advocacy, all counseling departments should use this, would be an advisory council. Now, those schools that are trying to go ramp or just trying to get a different viewpoint of what your program looks like would be to make sure you have a board member on there. If you're going ramp, that is a requirement to receive just about all the points you can get on that rubric a parent should be there student teachers community member and what we did in this past our spring meeting we had our feeder school counselors come in and discuss their data so we use a collaborative model in our advisory council so that way we have our board member already in place, we have an administrator, and we have a community member we can share in with a parent, all melded together in our meeting, so that way, when we meet, we have everybody there, just in case something comes up where that school's parent, like, say, for instance, burn their parent doesn't show up, or an administrator doesn't show up, they can use our administrator, because that's the requirement on the ramp rubric, and I will definitely co-sign with anybody that want to use a collaborative model. We share students. If you're elementary school, if, like I said, like I stated, we have three elementary schools in our zone, and we we're a feeder school to them, and we're getting their students. And what better resource to have for those students is your feeder school counselors. Another way to collaborate and advocate for your program will be your your time usage and how to track it. There are different tools that you can use. A lot of counselors use Google Forms, it's free if you sign up with a um, Google account. Our district uses Chromebook, wants us to use Microsoft. So even though Google Form is, Forms is great, with Microsoft Forms is what we use. And it's, it's it's good. But it doesn't have the functionality of Google. Some counselors use easy analyze. Um, I believe it turns to a spreadsheet. And spreadsheets don't like me. I'm not good with formulating on there. To create. The numbers I need. and It's a little bit more tedious. And a little bit. I'm not Excel friendly. Let's just leave it at that. Um. Another site that I tried out for a couple of weeks because I had a free trial was Counselor Up. I believe it's was Counselor Up. It's been a few years since I used it. It gives you a 30-day trial to track student data. And it's good at giving graphs and tracking your student student population. The last one um, I'm going to talk about also that I've been using for the last four years is Scooter. Now, some kind of say, I don't want to spend $195 or $125 on this and I can just use my forms. That's, I get that. I don't want to create my own graphs. I want something that's going to populate it once I put the numbers in there. I want something that's already ready made for me to use and something I can be able to to use without checking to see if my um calculations are correct or my formulas are correct. Now, with Scooter, you can choose the pro model one twenty five the max model one seventy five or if your school is going ramp it's two hundred ninety five dollars but it creates your whole ramp application. There are different steps inside of the range of version of school that you can use. If you use the the pro model it gives you the basics um you can upload students in there you know, different. Th- uh, I believe you put your lesson plans in that one. In the max version, you can actually do your counselor, admin agreement, track your SMART goals, collect so much data, and the functionality is so much better than the, the pro model. And if you go to the Ramp, it pretty much puts your Ramp application together as long as you fill in all the information that you use for your program as far as your core curriculum, small groups, create your... It It combines your data for your closing the gap activities, those such things. Also, with Scooter, you can add in a calendar integration. Our school is, of course, is Office three hundred and sixty five a school and district, excuse me. And if you have that add on and you use your calendar to stay organized, those items you implement in your calendar on Outlook will sync to your Scooter login. So all you have to do is go into your Scooter and code it. To where you need a code to code is fair share responsibility, or define, assess, or manage um, responsive services, which is now counseling, advisement, appraisal, instruction, so forth, and so on. You just once you plan your calendar out, you can actually just go in and click it and add the names if you want to add names or student IDs and the data that you need to add in there to make it work. Another thing you can do to advocate for your program and collaborate within your program is to market your program. You can use your Weebly account. I use Weebly as a digital resume when I was looking for a job when I graduated three years ago. Um, You can also use your school site as a place for marketing your program, the different resources that you have and people you get in contact with, your outside counselors that you use. We're going to talk about that in our final thought. You can also use Twitter for marketing your program. Just check with your district's social media policy and make sure you abide by that. Of course, it's a professional account, so I know we know how we are going to act within those policies and on our accounts. Um, My handle is at Fabe the Counselor, F-A-B-E-T-H-E. PSC. That is my handle on Twitter. Um, my school also has one Apple Middle School Apple. Inc. Ms. counseling I cannot remember my handle on that one. So, just type in Apple Inc. Middle School, and you should be able to find it. We're gonna take a quick break, and we're gonna talk about the last two tips for collaborating and advocating for your program. Mm-hmm. have a couple more tips also to add in there for advocating collaborating with your counseling program. Open house. Some might say it's kind of difficult. We're all over the place for open house. Um, So things that you can do with your open house. My role during open house is of course registration and um, helping parents get their kids scheduled and any questions as far as the building and that type of thing. That's one way you can advocate. Another thing you could also do is create a needs assessment for parents. This could be parents that are coming back or the new parents that you're getting in or parents parents that are bringing a child to middle school, like in sixth grade. So what I did was I created a QR code for a parent needs assessment to use their open house. The only downfall for that was this year um, parents saw the QR code, probably didn't know how to use it. But I don't like paper. I don't like tabulating the data. So maybe next year, what I will do is create a link for the teachers to put on the laptop. and have them fill out the forms where they go visit the teachers' classrooms. Um, that'll probably be a little bit easier for them to use instead of like, I don't feel like going through all these steps to get my phone out, scanning it, and then have to answer If we have it already ready for them to use at a te- at each teacher's door, it'd be so much easier to use. So that's one thing I want to do next year as far as collaborating, advocating for our council program. Uh, I will suggest that and see how it goes and hopefully it'll, it'll get approved from from the higher-ups for advocating for our program. That also would be a great sign for my number 10 on my council keys would be communication. um, Something about getting in contact with stakeholders, getting their feedback. That will be part of it right there. Your advisory council will also fall under um, council keys down to 1 and 10 also. That's something we're going to talk about maybe next week. Council keys as we're going through the, teachers are going through the TEKS process in Georgia. Um, teachers have TEKS. Um, administrators have LEAKs, leader keys, council, teacher keys. We have council keys. And those things are important as far as improving our roles as teachers, administrators, or counselors and and becoming better better in our positions. So next week or the week after, I'm gonna going to flip up and see what we're going to do, but that's something I'm looking forward to talking about is how do we view our um, evaluation. Some states are using totally different things, but Georgia used council keys. Well, not all the schools, but select ones and for those counselors that use council keys in Georgia we could talk about those 10 different standards and how can we make sure we get the maximum points possible on it um another thing that you could use you can use a newsletter I can use a paper newsletter and then I could upload on my school site as a pdf a viewable pdf on the site some people like some more It's a free version, it's more Then you have an educator's version, I think it's $39 or $72, I can't remember, for the the year. But it's a great resource, it's already formatted, you just put in the information you need and voila, it's there. Now going back to the collaboration part and the advocacy, all of this does not matter at all if you do not have admin buy-in. A lot of schools have good administrators. Some schools have some that, you know, a little rigid or some that are straight focused on their continuous improvement plans or their building. And I need you to do this. And I need you to do that. And sometimes we run into a situation where the things that we know we can do, we're not able to do because we're doing the things that are actual. us. And part of being a team player is to do what is asked of us. But at the same time, when we get our evaluation at the end of the year and it's not where we want it to be at, is that because we're doing everything we asked and we're not doing our program, or is it because we're not being allowed to do it? I can't speak for everybody, but that is a consistent problem within the, the cohort of counseling are we able to do our jobs with fidelity or are we hindered by the things that we're asked to do due to the needs of the school? I'm not saying don't tell your administrator, nah, I ain't finna do this, this ain't part of my job. Do with a small document and then advocate, which goes back to tracking your usage. If you know you're being used for a non-school counseling task, we do it, we document it. Then at the end of the year, there's there um on our council keys, there's a standard three with delivery system. Talks about to be a proficient counselor, you need to be at 80% of the time used with direct and direct services with students. That's the 80%. That's on the ASCA national model. That could be the hardest thing to do. 80%. Really, 70% would be a more feasible goal. I've been a counselor for three years. I haven't even hit 70% on direct and direct services to students because of other things that we asked to do in the building, which is part of our job as well. But sometimes we have to advocate like, you know, we can be more effective in this role here if we have this removed and sometimes administrators understand that but at the same time they're looking at the whole building and it can be difficult but continue to advocate for the things that you can do versus the things that you are doing that doesn't help enhance your counseling program sometimes we're stuck in the role of attendance behavior and and sometimes we need to get into the academic piece as well because we are asked to do a plethora of things and we want to do things that we know we can do but the demands of the building can dictate what you need to be doing. So advocating for your role as a counselor in your counseling department if you're a lone ranger in your building or you have a whole department like three or four counselors and a registrar office clerk, attendance clerk, like some of these some of the high schools do, you you're more apt to be able to do your program. Now, it might be a little bit more difficult in the smaller settings to do that, but continue to advocate and they'll see your worth as a professional school counselor. And for you your buy in, the best thing to do is have your administrator know your role. If they understand your role, they know what you can do. I graduated from Liberty University in 2016. And one of the classes I took was a collaborative school council program, a collaborative school council program. I think it's EDUC 661 was the class. It was an intensive class where you had to go to Liberty, which is in Virginia. And that class lasted a weekend, one weekend per month for about four months. So imagine going to Virginia once a month for four months straight for class. Friday night class and all day class on Saturday. And one of the refreshing things I saw in this class was there was administrators that were in that class. It was actually a requirement for some states for the administrators to take a class on school counseling. So that was refreshing to see some folks that were going to administration taking this class to become more familiar with the role of the counselor. Some states need to look into that model and have them take a class on comprehensive school counselor program and actually see the things that we can do. Now, some some men might might have been a counselor before, but some a lot of this stuff has changed over the last five to ten years, and it's nothing more refreshing to see an administrator that really knows what your job is. Another thing is to make sure you advocate for those things that we sometimes are asked to do when there's nobody else to do it. Um, Like sometimes something for a class, everybody's everybody's tied up in, in a lot of things, and sometimes we get asked to hold a class. What I can say on that is sometimes you have to document when you hold that class because remember when you're doing the core curriculum, you're doing it with the teacher in the room. It becomes a non-school counseling task when you're holding it holding a class for the whole day or specific periods. You do it, you still can do a lesson, but it'll be considered a non-school counselor task because the teacher is not in the room. Same thing as far as Elementary counselors are possibly put into the rotation schedule. It is a need because you need an extra teacher in that rotation. Sometimes you can do that, but at the same time, let's say, for instance, you're doing fifth grade um, specials. And you have a child that's been reporting child abuse. And they're afraid to go home. And it's at 2 o'clock and school gets out at 3 you need to be available to make that call to the social worker to do a home visit and make sure that child is in the most safest environment. And we can't do that if we're in a classroom now. Don't get me wrong, it is what it is, if we're in a rotation, but administrators need to look at that as well. Also, sometimes we're we're taxed to do things that nobody else would do or, or asked to do things that we know Nobody else would do. Some of those things are... Full disclosure, I was hired in 2016. And during pre-planning, I was told, Hey, you're going to be the PBIS coach. That's the one thing I did not know nothing about. I knew a lot of things, but I was familiar with it. Didn't know about a team. Didn't know about nothing, nothing about it. Now, I was a little... I was apprehensive. I wasn't vengeful or nothing like that. I was a little scared because I like I don't know nothing about PBIS. I I was asked to do it, and once I figure out my strengths and the way I could do things and do it, I've gotten a lot better at coaching the team and discussing and leading. And this is my fourth year as the coach. And one thing I. I learned this year, I learned last year also, is sometimes people are put on a team that didn't want to be on a team, they were voluntold, and the one thing I did the last couple years as a coach, I did an open invite to the staff, new and old, and sought direction from anybody that want to be on the team. You don't have to be certified staff. It could be your registrar, your bookkeeper, your family engagement coordinator. They want to be on the team and help as much as they can. They just don't know about it if you lets you open it up. So the one thing I realized the last couple of years is I cannot do everything on the PBIS team. You have a timekeeper, recorder, um, data analyst. Behavior specialist, coach, team leader, administrator—that's one another advocacy part, especially in PBIS. You need an administrator in all your meetings to to advocate for the things that you're doing or offer some counsel on some of the things as far as behavior and all that stuff. If you don't have that, your team is not going to function well. So one thing I did this, another thing I did this year, I made sure I made an open invite the first day of pre plan that I made sure I open up that invite to everybody and we got some new members on there some folks say, I want the First meeting but I want to help I want to help and that's a great feeling when you know you have folks on your team that's willing to do the work and they all don't have to be on a team but they can some way can help with what you do you can have some even though you have somebody dealing with communications you could have them that person head up a subcommittee On communication will also can tie into celebrations. You shouldn't be spending the whole time on celebrations in your meetings or or complaining about some things you've seen with students or whatever. The meeting should be database, come up with solutions, and have a small discussion on the celebration and let them work. One thing I've realized I have not talked about the celebration at all. I just said, "Hey, what y'all got for this?" and kept it moving because if I if I put my hands on something, I'm not going to put it back down, and that's something I got to learn how not to do, and to learn how to do is not take not pick up something when somebody else is in charge of it. Now I've seen some had some things happen where folks say they're going to do it, they don't do it. I pick it up and keep it because I can't trust for that person to do it, and that's something I have to learn how to release in my four as a counselor. Trust the folks to do it. Follow up instead of picking it up. We got some housekeeping items coming up soon. Got my final thought on mental health and students. Be right back, y'all. Of course, this is the part of the podcast where we have some housekeeping items. We will have Deja Selby on as a special guest on the podcast, our Bill County School Counselor of the Year, our first school counselor of the year we're going to talk about her why what her drove into counseling what does it mean to be the school counselor of the year and her philosophy as a school counselor um, of course you can listen to podcast on different arenas and platforms such as google playlists anchor and now we're on itunes so we there we there on itunes baby so, it's, it's an honor to see iTunes pick it up now. It took a little while, but it, I never noticed it until I just checked on iTunes to see if I was on there. And it's on there. And it actually has seasons on there as far as education and everything. So, I guess this is season one of our podcast. Even though we're four episodes in and had two of my episodes, if we don't know what season this is. But, we're in season one. And the rest of the podcast on iTunes for those Apple users. Um, and if you have Samsung, it's on Google Play. Um, I don't sound bitter about that at all. Um, Still working on an administrator to come on my podcast. I'm trying to find one. Uh, I want a wide range of what they see and what they view as the role of a counselor in their building and how they use their counselors and discuss some various things with them. Um, If an administrator that listens to this podcast would like to come on, we can... We can discuss those things. And I would love to have you on here. Don't forget we also. On oh, Faye the Weebly. Dot, not Faye the Weebly. and mercy. I'm still a little sleepy. Faye the Counselor.weebly.com At Faye the PSC. And at Applin MS PSC. Be back with my final thought. Fave's final thought. Right now, we are in a hot-button time where mental health is at the forefront for all students. But hasn't it always been at the forefront for school counselors? Haven't we already been proactive in social-emotional learning, wraparound services, outside referrals? This is nothing new for the school counseling profession. This is part of our job now in the three-tiered domain of social, emotional, career readiness, and academics. So some of these DOEs and some districts are now saying, oh, student mental health is, we gotta make sure the student is, is social, emotionally ready for being college career ready for a 21st century society. And we've already been doing that. Right now it is being pushed to the forefront with the advent or the increasing nature of bullying TV show 13 Reasons Why. I haven't seen it yet. I have not brought myself to watch it. I saw some reviews and saw some varying opinions from other professional school counselors on how the show makes the professional school counselor look in this instant. We've also seen students give valedictorian speeches bashing school counselors and bashing teachers. But this is something that we've always have handled as counselors. Like I said earlier, we, at my school, when I do my agreement, I already knew I can only put maybe 10% on the core curriculum and advisement piece. I had to allocate majority of my time to responsive services and indirect services because of the nature of the building. And to me, in a sense, that is that's more reactionary more than being proactive. And that could be a little bit more difficult to do as a council being reactive when we know we could be more proactive in what we can do in our building. So, what can we do to even even be more proactive in students' mental health? It goes back to the simple things like building relationships with your teachers and parents in your feeder schools. Find out those students who have been freaking flyers or might have an issue or two when they're coming into your building. Making sure that, if in the safe instance, you're a middle school counselor and you work with the sixth grade students. Some of the things that you should be already working on with those students if they didn't get in elementary school should be social skills. that should be one of the first things that you're teaching them social skills as far as communicating when something's wrong or something's right, code switching how to how to express themselves in an academic environment versus when they're at home or with their friends in their neighborhoods, and how to listen. Those are, some, those are the basic skills that we need to be teaching our students. If they didn't get in elementary school, which I would think they should in a, at a level they do, that should be one of the first things we're teaching our students how to do. Another thing as far as mental health is how to build SMART goals. What does SMART goals have to do with mental health? Let's say, for instance, a student has always struggled in math. And they're already being targeted for remediation in math. It'll be beneficial for that student to set a goal on what they want to do in math or reading. If I'm a student that struggles with reading, I'm coming into middle school with a fourth grade reading level. My Lexile is 670. I know my Lexile should be at a 900 by the time I'm entering seventh grade. So I have 300 points to catch up with. What is great about a SMART goal? It forces the student to be proactive. It forces the student to see the begin with the end in mind. I see a 900 at the end of this year, but I'm out of 600. What I have to do to get to that 900? That shifts the focus and the responsibility to the student to push for their goals. Now, if they don't make their goal, but they see growth, that student will say, hey, hey, Mr. Vicks." I didn't get 900, but I'm at 855. I'm like, man, Johnny, that's great. You didn't make seventh grade Lexile, but you showed growth so that way you know where you're at for next year. You have ways to improve. That's a great way of being proactive. And you saw the end in mine. Now we just got to sharpen your saw a little bit more to get to that next level when you get to seventh grade where it should be at to a thousand. So I told you I want to use some leader in me terminology in here. So all the leader in me things are being pushed in the district. All these things could be applied to mental health. Now let's go back to the traditional mental health. We have to educate our teachers and administrators to see what we see and what the teachers see but the teachers see it but they don't know what it is our job is to make sure that if we see a student with adhd we make sure we put the right things in place for that student to be successful that don't mean to stick every student on a 504 that means we put tools in place to make sure that they can be the most successful successful person if that student needs to be set at the front in a group with high higher high achievement students in our flexible groups that's fine if that student needs a little bit more attention needs To have a different form of getting a lesson some students might be kinetic learners so if I'm if I'm doing something in math and I'm doing ratios I know that students not gonna be engaged looking at a video I know that student need a deck of cards deal out four hands of spades ace high of course and say, what's the ratio of spades to your hand versus what your opponents have? We also have to continue to collaborate with outside services and wraparound services. Our school is getting an in-house mental counselor. We're sharing that counselor with two other schools in our district and they have a specific referral process and we as counselors will have to screen those referrals being sent by teachers. Teachers might try to refer 300 students and we had to screen, just in case screen them and see who really will benefit from those wraparound services. That would be considered like a tier three and a half to me in, in my opinion, because you know, the level tiers of intervention, tier one, everybody, tier two, small group, tier three is wraparound services, that 5%. And then tier four would be special ed but if you look at it as far as the terms of responsive services tier one would be everybody tier two would be that 10 to 15 percent tier three would be that five percent and then of course tier four would be that one percent in our building we have 12 percent pc students but we might also have 20 percent students on rti or behavior or academic rti but as far as responsive services and mental health those that tier is going to be very important as far as finding out the antecedent on um, what's going on with that student and why they're not functioning or why they haven't functioned. We have a student that had that was making A's and B's until his fourth grade year, and then they just dropped down to F's and D's. And you might have a student like that, and you want to know the antecedent to why that student just stopped doing the work, why they stopped caring, why they're acting the way they're acting that goes back to your feeder schools. What did those feeder schools do to help this student? What did the feeder schools do to to provide wraparound services or evaluations for this student? So all this ties back into the topic of advocating and collaborating. You have to work together to find out how you can best advocate for your student. You had to find out from all the the um playmakers for your counselor, um social worker's ours, ours each zone has a social worker that works with, within each other. And you have to find out work together like have you worked with this student before? Have you met their family? Did this um student have a older sibling before them? Do they have a younger sibling that's at the feeder school that might be going through the same thing they're going through right now. So everything we talked about leading to mental health goes back to advocating and collaborating with all stakeholders. You have to listen to be understood. I know that's a standard on leader in me. I cannot for the life of me remember that one but the best thing to do is to listen to seek first to listen to understand. Don't always have to be the smartest person in the room. Just listen. Gain information. Collaborate. Think win-win. Not only for the student but for your stakeholders and your building. Those are very important things to the mental health. And we have to know how to use them correctly and properly. I want to thank you for taking your time and listening to my podcast. I'm out.